Welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Jade Belexa. Today we're talking all about heart health with Willis Knight and Piermont Cardiology's Dr. John Winterton. We're here to answer your questions too, so make sure you call us during the show at 318-219-4569. And thank you so much, Dr. Winterton, for sitting down with us to answer all these questions. I mean, heart health is such a big topic and we all need to take care of our hearts and do what we can to live our best lives. So let's let's start from the beginning and um, take some background questions and um, tell us what are some risk factors for developing heart disease? Yeah, so cardiovascular disease affects quite a few people in this country and it's poorly recognized that that process begins at a very young age and so being cognizant of risk factors or, or things that can cause cardiovascular disease is very, very important if you're going to impact the process and not have to deal with uh, heart artery disease or cerebrovascular disease as well. Uh, the risk factors that we generally consider are diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, family history of heart disease, smoking, and then lifestyle related issues such as obesity or uh, inactivity. Mm -hmm. uh, so that group of six things are, are the, the, the tried and true factors that we know to target uh, there are others, but but that's those are the principal issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exercise is so important. Not being so sedentary and and just getting that heart rate up, I can't imagine is is helpful. Sedentary lifestyle is a very significant issue because it's a contributing feature to the other risk factors. So folks who have diabetes and and high blood pressure and high cholesterol all need activity in an effort effort to combat uh, those particular issues but they are additive relative to the development of uh, cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. So being active and having an appropriate diet are really important. Mm -hmm. And just sticking to those two topics, diet and exercise, how, how much exercise is recommended? That's an interesting uh, topic because it's not real well defined. There are some good studies out that occurred, that were d done about 20 years ago. Two that were performed by the World Health Organization about 20 years ago that showed a substantial redu reduction in mortality. Uh, those two studies were done in women, but the, the uh, information is extrapolated to the general population. Uh, we know that if you can walk 30 to 45 minutes a day, five days a week, you, there is an associated 47% reduction in mortality, mm -hmm. which is a massive number. Now the trick is that's not easy to attain uh, because that 45, that 30 to 45 minutes a day of exercise does not uh, count daily activity. So we're talking about dedicated amounts of time. Mm -hmm. That needs to be done carefully, certainly with, with uh, supervision of a physician uh, so that you're not exposing yourself to risk with the activity. Mm -hmm. But physical activity is a, is a major player in terms of reduction of risk. And let's talk about diet. What do you recommend following to, to maintain a healthy heart? Well, in general, low-fat diet is important. And uh, you can use, as a general guide, the dietary recommendations from both the American Diabetes Association but also the American Heart Association. Fad diets and are, are very difficult to follow. You can certainly achieve weight loss if you use different diets, and there's a whole host of those. 
but in general we recognize that you need uh, roughly 1600 calories a day uh, for daily existence and daily activities consuming more than that then assumes that you're burning more that addition uh, those additional calories with your activities mm -hmm. so if you can achieve a diet of 1600 calories a day and maintain activity you can certainly at least maintain your weight now obviously you have to burn more calories than you eat if you're going to going to lose weight uh, and there therein lies the challenge because 1600 calories is not very much when I you take it into say, account. I was going to say 1600 is not a lot. That's right and you make one trip to the fast food store and take a glance at the number of calories in a in a hamburger fries and a drink and you've wiped out the day's worth of eating. So you have to be very careful therefore it's important to do the research and carefully focus on what you're doing with your diet. Mm -hmm. And let's let's talk about smoking. Um, how does that impact impact your heart? So <coughs> as mentioned uh, there are six major risk factors for heart disease but I like to tell people uh, that if you take smoking as one of the six then if we were to try to say that there were ten risk factors then the first five would be smoking. So smoking is devastating in terms of the development of heart disease. Uh, nicotine destabilizes the inner layer of arteries all over the body. Uh, and it's pretty, pretty uniformly true that if you develop artery disease in one area, such as your heart, you can easily assume that that exists in the arteries supplying the kidneys and the brain and everywhere else. Smoking destabilizes those, those, those inner layers of the artery and leads to the deposition of cholesterol within those arteries, which is then inflammatory and sets off the process by which you develop narrowed arteries and can develop uh, events such as heart attacks and strokes. Yeah, and people who smoke, who want to quit, it, it, it's hard to, to quit that habit. Do you have any tips for those who, who want to try to quit? That's a real challenge for most people. Uh, it's been shown uh, time and time again that the overall effectiveness rate for smoking cessation is somewhere on the order of 30%. The failure rate has a lot to do with mindset and it's in, generally recommend, in general recommended that people be of the proper mindset to initiate a smoking cessation process so that you maximize your chance of being effective. Mm -hmm. Once you've established that you're going to make the effort to quit smoking, then there are any number of means of doing that, which are weaning yourself away from the tobacco products, using uh, pharmaceutical agents to help reduce the anxiety that's associated with reduction in nicotine, and there are a number of agents there. Uh, all of this is stuff that, that would a person should discuss with their primary care doctor to try to choose the proper timing, but also the proper agents to help with smoking cessation. Tell us, uh, you know, we've heard different things about wine. Does a glass of red wine truly promote heart health? The Mediterranean diet, which is where a lot of the data regarding red wine uh, emanates, would suggest that red wine may have some helpful factors uh, in reduction of risk for events. There's not really strong data to back that up, uh, and so it's not one of the guideline means of treating or reducing risk. There's a chemical within red wine called resveratrol, which is the, is 
thought to be the reason that red wine drinkers seem to have sl slightly lower risk. But that, that's something that would be ancillary to or as an add-on potentially to uh, managing diabetes, high blood pressure, and high cholesterol, and absolutely not smoking. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And what are some of the tests that can be done to screen for heart disease? In general, we, we first want to look at what are the risk factors. So it's very important to know if you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or high cholesterol, uh, because those are the, the number one things that we can address. Uh, certainly you can quit smoking and that, that's a challenge, but diabetes, high blood pressure, and high cholesterol have to be addressed. And so we start off the process trying to identify people who have clear risk. Beyond that, uh, if you're asymptomatic, in other words, you're not having chest discomfort, you're not short of breath, not having weak spells and so forth, uh, there are a few tests that are out there to, to look for the presence of heart artery disease. And specifically, I'm referring to ca cardiac calcium scoring. Uh, a CAT scan can be done in a period of about 10 seconds that allows us to identify calcification of the arteries supplying the heart. Um, and if there is significant calcification in those arteries, it's very clear that there's significant plaque formation. Now, that's not exactly the same thing as saying that there's imminent risk of events, but the presence of calcium within arteries is uh, a major way to identify the disease. Uh, there are a few other th tests. Some people have used ultrasound to identify the thickness of the inner layer of the artery and the carotid arteries, the arteries in the neck. And when that, in, there are parameters, and if you exceed the parameters, in other words, the lining of those arteries is thicker than it should be, then we can expect that there is some risk of cholesterol plaque formation throughout the arterial system. Uh, and that would heighten then your need to be careful with your risk factors. But always, patients with diabetes, high blood pressure, and high cholesterol are the, are the focus of, of the attention. So, would heart disease be genetic related? Genetics does play a role and obviously that's not something today we can undo. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, the genetics is intertwined in each of those other, other risk factors. Right. So often we see people who have a genetic history of heart disease, but they also have a family history of diabetes and high blood pressure. And so there's a lot of integration between those, those issues. Uh, but definitely family history is a, is a player in, in terms of risk for development of heart disease. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, we have Catherine on the phone right now. Catherine, thank you so much for calling. What is your question for Dr. Winterton? Yes. Go ahead. Yes, I have high cholesterol. I have cholesterol, and I want to know from the doctor, what's the best way to, to lower? Lowering cholesterol is, is uh, a challenge for most people. It has, to, has directly to do with genetics. Uh, the liver is the primary organ responsible for metabolizing fat in the body, along with muscle cells, but primarily the liver. If you have abnormalities in, in the enzyme systems, the proteins that help process fats, then we have to look at medications and diet. And certainly a low-fat diet is in order for all Americans because of the high 
likelihood of the development of heart disease in our population. In terms of medications, the, the tried and true and long-term medications uh, that most people are familiar with are the so-called statin medications, of which there are several. Uh, the studies that began back in the mid-80s uh, began with a drug called pravastatin. Uh, there were a couple of studies with that drug that showed that if you took pravastatin and lowered your cholesterol to certain levels, that there was a significant reduction in risk for heart attack and stroke. Since the mid-1980s, there have been several newer drugs that have been developed. Those drugs developed for different reasons, some of them to try to get around side effects, but also uh, to in increase the potency of the medications. Obviously, just like with hair color and everything else, there are great varieties of levels of cholesterol. And so in some people, we need lower, lower potency medicine and some folks, they require medicines that are much stronger. So the statin medications would be the mainstay of, of, of those uh, medications today. There are some newer agents. Uh, there are three different classes of agents, actually, that have come out in the last five to 10 years, which are very nice and, and do uh, the things that we need them to do to achieve cholesterol levels that are associated with reduction of risk for heart attack and stroke. Now those newer drugs, as you might expect, are much more expensive. They're just out of their development phase. The studies have just been completed for a couple of them relative to making sure that they actually reduce re reduction for heart attack and stroke. Um, and uh, those, are, those are things that you would discuss with your primary care doctor uh, or your cardiologist. Okay. Do you necessarily need a medication to lower your cholesterol? You don't necessarily, and certainly diet and exercise are, are at the forefront of what we recommend. Absolutely, you need to have a low-fat diet, uh, which generally means to lower your, your, the dietary content of, of animal products. A uh, person should not consume more than eight ounces of red meat a, in a week, uh, and vegetable and, and uh, fruit products are the, are the mainstay of the diet then and uh, that does substantially help, as does exercise. Unfortunately, though, you can only reduce your uh, bad cholesterol, your LDL cholesterol, by about 15% at maximum uh, if you are really stringent with your diet and your exercise program. So for people who have substantially elevated cholesterol, we have to use the medications. Mm, yeah, that can be, that can be challenging to to do that. Um, so tell us, tell us more about the, we were talking about testing and the, the cardiac calcium score. Um, when you do these kind of tests, uh, is, it, is it blood work mostly? Is, is that how that works? Well, the cardiac calcium score is a, is a type of CAT scan. So that's a, radio, a radio, radiology test. Uh, all that's necessary is that you lay down f for about a minute on the mm -hmm. bed. The, the x-ray camera spins around the bed and then takes pictures of the, the uh, organs in the chest. But it's capable of seeing small amounts of calcium. And small amounts of calcium to the naked eye can be significant when, when, you, set, when you quantitate those. So the computer then processes the information and can give us a number that characterizes the amount of cholesterol plaque in the, in the arteries to the heart. 
Mm -hmm. It literally takes only about 10 seconds to get that information. Uh, some people are uncomfortable when uh, having a getting in a tube, so to speak, but for that very short period of time, it, it generally is very well tolerated. Mm -hmm. That is the newer form of assessment for uh, asymptomatic heart disease. Uh, that's the ca cardiac CAT scanning has been around for about 15 or so years, and we've learned more and more as that technology has evolved. Uh, and the, the, ca the, the calcium score is a nice tool. Again, we have to pay attention to the folks who have diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Okay, so, you know, I'm, I'm getting older in age, but, and, you know, I have some heart concerns because my family has a history of heart disease, but is there a certain age someone should establish care with a cardiologist? So the data that's published, the information published by the American Heart Association, uh, as well as the American College of Cardiology, would indicate that there are about 18 million people in the United States who have coronary artery disease, beginning at age 20 and up. Interestingly, there was a study performed about 50 years ago, uh, actually closer to 60 years ago now, that was initiated in Bogalusa, Louisiana, so in, in southeast Louisiana. Uh, they simply looked at the uh, cause of death for folks who lived in that area for several years and astonishingly identified that the cholesterol plaque begins to be present or at least is identifiable in arteries in folks as young as 18 months. No way. So it's very young that this de develops very, very seriously. You can't see the cholesterol plaque in most people until they're about 25 to 30 years of age if you get artery tissue to look at. But it certainly by, by the age 32 is, is visible in most patients who have cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. So it highlights the point that you have to be paying attention when you're young to the risk factors that, that, that can develop, uh, cause the development of, of cholesterol plaque. Mm -hmm. uh, hello, Deborah. how are you? Hi, how are you? Good, good, good. What is your question for Dr. Winterton? Well, I have a question. Uh, my son is 20 years old and he was borderline uh, with high cholesterol. And so I was trying to figure out what steps can he take to try to prevent um, his cholesterol levels getting too high. Um, recently, he had an accident where he said he stood up and he felt like he was dizzy. Um, and his heart started um, palpitating really fast. So, and I know, you know, because he had been eating like um, steaks and burgers and fries, and I've been trying to, you know, correct that. So, is there anything that he can do or we could do? Well, he sounds like a typical 20 year old who's eaten <laughs> steaks and burgers and fries. But if he's got high cholesterol that's already been identified, then he, he needs to see his primary care doctor and look to address that, which is to say, formulate a diet and exercise plan that is as efficient as possible. You have to take into account his age and activity. Uh, and then also that may require the, uh, the use of some medication to lower his cholesterol, depending on what those numbers are. So the, the general answer to that would be, if he's got some element of high cholesterol already, then that needs to be addressed with his primary care doctor uh, at this stage. 
Okay, thank you. Thank you. So is that uh -huh. have a good day. Thank you so much, Deborah. Is that typically what happens? Like a primary care physician would refer their patient to a cardiologist? That's right. That's the general process. Uh, we would you know, have patients seeing their family doctor who is screening for these issues, watching blood sugar, watching blood pressure, checking the cholesterol. Uh, and when, when necessary, the things are not easily treated, then we're certainly here to help with managing risk factors uh, to try to prevent uh, cardiac events. You know, un unfortunately, the other side of our job, which is more common, is dealing with heart artery disease once we've identified it either in the form of chest pain and shortness of breath or a heart attack or stroke or something on that order. Mm -hmm. Obviously those things are to be avoided if, if at all possible, highlighting the reason that, or the, the fact that you need to be careful at a young age to do the things so that as you get in, in the age groups that we see uh, cardiac events that you're no longer at high risk. Yeah. Jacqueline, hello, good afternoon to you. What is your question yes. for Dr. Winterton? I wore a heart monitor a couple of weeks ago and the results came back with SVP. I don't know a thing about this. I wondered if he had something to say about it. I would be speculating to, to, to tell you what those those what that means, that's something that certainly you need to discuss with your doctor. And I have an appointment, thank you. Yes ma'am, you should keep that appointment, that's important. Thank you for your call. So, it's hot outside in Louisiana, Dr. Winterton. Yes, just the humidity can often get to us. You know, we got to drink a lot of water, of course. But can this excessive heat have a negative impact on the heart? So, excess stress does play a role in in cardiac events. The development of cholesterol plaque, not so much. But if you have cholesterol plaque and then you expose yourself to excessive heat uh, or excessive stress, for that matter, that is a setup for trouble. Uh, the presence of cholesterol plaque destabilizes the, the artery itself anatomically and puts it at risk to rupture the inner layer of the artery. And so you can imagine that if you have your heart beating uh, fast and vigorously to contend with excess heat uh, or, in, or heavy activity, you pose, it, that does pose some risk if you have cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. So it highlights the point that you need to be careful, particularly in, the, in this set of circumstances where the heat is uh, incredible at, at this point. So people, certainly people who have known heart artery disease should not be out in the heat. Yeah, uh, would you recommend taking your exercise indoors if you do have a heart condition? If you have heart disease, you need to be, be taken very, be very careful to avoid the excess heat, but also your exercise ought to be supervised or at least uh, have been recommended by your physician. Um, can doing exercise or anything to elevate um, your heart rate damage your heart? In general, exercise the, the, is going to elevate the heart rate, uh, which is a normal phenomenon. You should, normally, blood pressure sh and heart rate both should go up when you're physically active. To have that happen to, to excess, obviously, does expose you to some risk. 
if the person is going to take on a new exercise program, it's very advisable to discuss that with your doctor to make sure that if, in fact, you do have some other risk, that your exercise matches what your general capabilities should be. Sometimes when people are initiating a new exercise program, we might recommend a stress test just to make sure that it's safe. Now, that would not be true in everybody, but certainly in people who, who have excess risk for cardiovascular disease, those considerations have to be taken into account. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I was curious just about um, aspirin. When, when is that uh, recommended for, for people to take? And it, is that something that people with heart conditions still take these days? Well, in general, you know, aspirin is an old medication, and for about 40 years or so, it's been recognized that aspirin played some role in improving outcomes in patients who have heart attack or stroke. It was determined based on uh, angiographic studies and uh, autopsy studies that, it, that inflammation plays a major role in plaque rupture, which then leads to heart attack and stroke. And so if you take an aspirin to reduce the inflammation, it might cut off that process. So for a long time, uh, up in fact up until the last four or five years, we've generally recommended that people who had one or more risk factors for heart disease consider being on a low-dose aspirin. However, you have to take into consideration the risk for complications from aspirin therapy. And more recently, that's been highlighted, and the recommendations are generally that we not use aspirin in people who don't have substantial risk or have not already had an event or had to have bypass surgery or a stent. Why? Because of the risk of bleeding and mm. specifically bleeding in the stomach, uh, ulcer for formation and less so uh, bleeding in other locations because it's not that common with aspirin. But th the initial concern regarding aspirins w aspirin therapy was raised uh, based on a study done in physicians uh, about 30 years ago. Uh, they simply took roughly 9,000 doctors, told them to take an aspirin uh, to, for prevention's sake to see what would happen, thinking that you would reduce the risk of heart attack and stroke. And what actually happened is they had, a, had several uh, physician deaths that were associated with bleeding. And it's been since that, that time frame, about 30 years ago, that people have been looking with some skepticism about recommending aspirin therapy on a routine basis. Mm -hmm. So we generally don't recommend it for primary prevention. In other words, in folks who don't have uh, stents or bypass or have not had heart attack or stroke, um, unless there are extremely high, other factors play into the development of very high risk. That's a conversation to have with, with a primary care doctor or your cardiologist to, to determine when that would be wise. but. Just in the general public, we don't recommend that mm -hmm. uh, outside the existence of known heart disease. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the combination of eating right and exercising and um, the other risk factors are a great way to, to avoid heart attacks and stroke and the other that's right. And associated with heart disease. Right. And, and again, it's really important that people see their primary care doctors and stay on top of those things that you can change. Mm -hmm. You can't change your genetic history. 
so of the six major risk factors, that one you can't do anything about. But certainly, uh, there are a lot of innovations with therapy for diabetes. Uh, diabetes is a, is a major player in the development of heart artery disease uh, for lots of different reasons. But insulin itself, which ironically in most people who are diabetic is in excess, uh, causes the, in, the, the thickening of arterial wall and destabilizes that inner layer uh, leading to cholesterol plaque formation. If you control your diabetes, then you make a big impact on the reduction of cholesterol plaque formation that would have otherwise occurred. About 47% of our population in the United States has high blood pressure. Estimated about 120 million people in the United States have hypertension. Mm -hmm. And today, there's little reason that your blood pressure can't be controlled. We mm -hmm. have so many different drugs, most of which have little to no side effects. Yeah, I know a lot of people, myself, who have high blood pressure. I mean, it is, it is so common. Extremely common and not that hard to treat. Uh, high cholesterol, we've, we've talked about. There are multiple medications and there are new medications out that get around the side effects that a lot of people contend with with the older drugs, the statin medications. Uh, so we have really nice new therapies for diabetes, high blood pressure, and high cholesterol. And it simply is a matter of getting to your doctor and paying attention to those factors. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, stay 50 miles from the nearest cigarette. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of things can, can be controlled with medication and definitely um, try to stop smoking if you're a smoker. And thank you so much for coming in, Dr. Winterton. And thank you callers for chiming in with us. We appreciate it. And thank you for watching this edition of Healthline.